0: I'm Bill Powers. It's Mining Stock Education. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Joining me today for a conversation about the junior mining markets is Joe Mazumdar, the expert over at explorationinsights.com. Joe, thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, Let's start with your commentary on the Goldfields-Yamana merger. I always like to have you on the show to discuss these mergers and acquisitions and whether they're good, the pros and cons. So could you start with your analysis of this, please?
1: Sure. Uh, thanks for the invite again, Bill. It's always a pleasure. Uh, so, in terms of Goldfields Yamana, I mean, I, if I had to strike a parallel in terms of that merger, I would say it was very similar to Gold, uh, Goldcorp and Newmont. That acquisition, that acquisition, did not have a lot of synergies between them, um, and so the, it took the market a little bit by surprise that they would that those two would merge, and that was just a merger for scale a bit of diversification i guess but uh like in terms of synergies like let's say creating nevada gold mines or something like that uh in nevada there was not a lot of value to be uh, realized from that merger uh, uh, other than gna because there was not a lot of operations that were uh, that that you could have uh, uh you know a uh, 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 levered off of uh, but from goldfields perspective you know they they wanted to you know diversify out of south africa this gets them you know 50% i believe in canadian Malarctic, a significant gold deposit in uh in uh in canada uh it was a 6.7 billion dollar transaction but it was all shares right and so this is the tricky part is that, uh, you know, Goldfields needs 75% of their shareholders to approve it. Uh, Yamana needs 66 and two thirds. And so there was a lot of turnover in Goldfields shares after the announcement. Uh, You know, uh, uh, they took a significant hit. They fell like over 20, 25% on eight times average volume. And so the, the theory right now is that potentially they've turned over all the shareholders that were against the deal. Have already left, and so the the probability now that they can get that seventy five percent hurdle is is actually better. But in terms of what I see, is that I think Gold Fields had the near term production; they beat Yamana on that. Uh, they've got uh, uh, more reserves, uh, you know, they've got all the near term um, sort of valuations, but it's really the upside in Yamana and the big upside in Yamana, I believe, is the um, Aguarica deposit in uh, in uh, Argentina, which is a large porphyry copper gold deposit. Glencore have Bajo de Lambrera and that plant uh, still is there and they don't want to pay reclamation and shut everything down because del Ember, the mine is over and they want to truck or, or uh, bring that ore from agorica and treat it at that facility and so that's the big impetus to make that whole complex work and gold i mean it's mostly a copper deposit but gold equivalent wise it's about 40 million ounces so if they can make that work you know, that would be a significant uh, uh, step up for gold fields. But yeah, again, not a merger that made a lot of sense, you know, uh, a diversification from gold fields perspective, still a bit of risk to see if the merger actually happens. But again, it is mostly for scale.
0: Sometimes when we see these big mergers at the gold producer level, it can indicate a near term bottom in the gold sector. Do you see this as an indicator of a potential bottom right now?
1: Uh, I I would say that there's, you know, because the other merger of equals that were happening was as the market was going up. uh, Usually, you know, they tend to be better at sort of predicting that the market's getting tighter and it's time to start acquiring and getting scale because the market's looking to improve. Um, Was it Ringgold Golden one,
0: Barrick at a at a bottom though in two thousand eighteen? Yeah, I but believe. it's
1: a bottom, a bottom. Yeah, like you said, bottom anticipating a rise. But uh, this one is sort of more like Newmont and Gold Corp. In well, Newmont and Gold Corp. That merger needed to happen for that CEO because he wanted that sort of thing and. Uh, Goldfields had a major CEO change, so they went from Nick Collins to the new guy, and the new guy wants to put his print on the new company on on Goldfields, and this puts his badge on it, what good or bad, with the Yamana deal, and so they, you know a lot of this is ego driven, um, and uh, you know besides Not Yamana change of control
0: is, fee driven,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for for Yamana, but okay. I mean if you look the break fee uh, to Yamana. Uh, is about $450 million US. Wow. And so that would take care of their net debt position. So for Yamana, it's a win-win. Either they get a liquidity moment, they own more shares in a more liquid company that they can sell, but also they, uh, if it doesn't work out, they get $450 million of cash that they didn't have. So um, yeah, for Yamana shareholders, that uh, it's perfect. Uh, for gold fields, most of those guys that didn't like it are the ones that uh, that sold.
0: Joe, when discussing uh, near-term bottoms in the junior gold sector, what are some things you look for? You know, people analyze the GDXJ relative to GLD, inflow of funds. What are the metrics or things you look for when you're trying to time a near-term bottom?
1: Well, it's the amount of 52-week lows, alerts that keep popping up on my phone. (laughs) And they keep going lower. (laughs) That's a bloody good indicator. Uh, The other one was it'd be financings, how much harder it is to get financing, the kind of hurdles, you know, you're raising less money, but it's more expensive, bigger discount to uh, the share price. You know, uh, a, a full warrant versus a half warrant to no warrant, uh, uh, you know, not that big of a premium on the warrant, uh, maybe a longer warrant. Uh, so uh, that sort of thing, uh, uh, private equity coming in and uh, loaning you money, maybe uh, uh, people doing more royalties and selling more streams because the market's not there for equity and their project is not valued very highly. So in this kind of market, it's not, you know, uh, equity. Uh, raising equity is much more dilutive than potentially diluting your project, because the uh, interestingly, like like if you looked at Alexco, you know that was a silver uh, company uh, in the Yukon. Uh, it, it got bought out by Hecla. Uh, and, and and again, most uh, producers uh, over the last
0: like a de- years, decade low share price, though, right? Something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they
1: the the, the heckless of the world and that uh, mostly have decent balance sheets, low debt, and and so they can make these transactions. Granted, this this transaction was all shares again, but uh, you know uh, they took these guys out for like you said, you know, at the lowest of the low. But if you look at Alexco's circumstances. They have a very small underground plant of 400 ton per day, which is not very big. They couldn't even feed that because of the massive amount for them uh, underground development that they required. And they could never feed that plant enough to generate enough free cash flow. To get enough underground development to keep the ball rolling. And so they basically suspended their operation milling and did more underground development. But then they would have to go finance that underground development. And nobody in night now was going to give them money for that. And so, you know, their options was probably a very diluted financing, you know, loan to own with some with, with, with some private equity firm or getting bought out. Uh, for shares and and that's what they chose. But interestingly, the stream that they bought from, from Wheaton, Wheaton, which yeah. which basically hindered their ability to generate free cash flow, uh, that was worth more than the company. You know uh, And so that is a good sort of uh, highlight for anybody to say if you put a stream on your on your main product, you know, and cut your leverage out in terms of good times for silver price because you've got this stream and you never- It was $4 an
0: ounce too, right? Something like that.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And then, and they can't do another stream now, obviously, to to raise money to do do underground development, but they were never making any money ever. And so it was only the silver fanatics that would- that would buy this stock because they would drill something and go, "Oh, look at the high grade," but they would never generate any free cash flow from them. So, so they ended up where they ended up, you know, partly because of the silver price, uh, the, the lack of funding or capacity or, or access to capital to fund underground development, and um, mostly because probably because of the stream. And so whenever you're looking at a company with a stream on the main product, that's what you got to think of, is that when they actually get going, how much money are they actually going to make? Because I can tell you that in the royalty market, that recent transaction with Great Bear, it was all cash. You know, And so there's not a lot of M&A that's happening for an exploration company or a developing company or even a producer that's all cash. It's mostly shares. They're offering all cash because royalty companies also have decent balance sheets. But there's so much more competition for royalties and streams. You know, the only way to get this over would be all cash. And so that's another gauge of the market. One's much more intense in terms of supply and demand uh, fundamentals is much better for royalties and streams there's a whole bunch of royalty companies very few assets so the value of each royalty and stream is much higher and these guys have the cash to pay for it whereas on the other side it's it's not the same case and so it's a lot more paper transactions and most of the premiums that they offer disappear within a within a week
0: you mentioned Great Bear. They spun out the royalty company before yeah. selling to Kinross, and Royal Gold is buying that for two hundred million Canadian. Uh, what's yeah. your analysis?
1: Well, of- no, that, that, and then again, that's a fifty-one percent premium. That's 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 a brilliant sort of uh, outcome for the Great Bear shareholders. But it's like two billion
0: dollars when you add the two transactions together, yeah, right? Two billion dollars <laughs> yeah. uh, uh,
1: Canadian. Yeah, it was one point eight and point two. So, yeah, a great outcome. Uh, and and they could do that because there was not any significant royalties on that zone. So they can issue one to themselves uh, as opposed to selling it to a royalty company for cash. They created a company that held it. You know, uh, so that's a brilliant move.
0: Do you see that strategy playing out more often in the junior space then as a result of this I would, success?
1: I would say, but I mean, you'd need an asset that has... Almost zero percent royalties because the the more royalties you uh, you uh, start um, you know putting on an asset, the less of a takeout target or appealing it becomes. So you want to watch it to make sure that you stay below five percent. You know, otherwise it gets kind of uh, too much for uh, for a company to, uh, when they when they look at what they're buying.
0: What about Rio too? They uh, had a, an environmental permit uh, denied. What's your analysis of this situation, Joe? And some people have extract, extrapolated from this that, oh, uh, Chile is now a bad jurisdiction. You know, permitting is not going to move forward. The government's moving left. Uh, in my opinion, I think people are reading a little bit too much into the, whole, the country as a whole as a result of this one specific issue. Uh, what would be your analysis here?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the thing is that Rio 2... Um, like I, I don't own shares of that company, no but do I. uh they have uh, their big push. I mean, why this was created was they did a good job with Rio Alto. Uh, they, they brought on uh, the uh, that uh, heat bleach uh, project in Peru and that got sold to Tahoe uh, and they had a big win for management. And so when they created a new company, they wanted to do another open pit heat bleach. Hey, we're good at this. Let's look around the world. Where can we go? It's got to be oxide, got to be heat bleach, open pit amenable, blah, blah, blah look through the states and then their concern was that the states takes too long to permit. It was the permitting risk that stopped them from going Well, I would to I would agree spots. with that too though. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, maybe not but I mean it's you know it used to be transparent until we had the trilogy event but uh but but if we take that you know that's perfectly justified in that and so they go to chile and they say well we can do this in 18 months and there's a precedent recent precedent for it from solaris norte where that was done around that sort of time frame and that was an open pit heat bleach at, at altitude as well in northern chile so okay let's do this and Let's fast track this thing. And so the original mine plan with, with the with the former company, uh, which is uh, Atacama Pacific, was to have like an 80,000 ton per day operation with the production profile from this open pit heap leach in, in, in the Andes at about 4,500 meters plus or whatever um, uh, to generate a big enough production profile that they would uh, get a suitor to buy the company because it, it, it was so big. But since these guys want to build it, there's no way they're going to build an 80,000 ton per day plant. And so they're going to build a 20,000 ton per day heat bleach, something much more that they could do. But then, you know, that was a lower capital But they were hoping that that would be uh, uh, faster to permit as well because uh, they would avoid some of the other things that the 80,000 ton per day plant needed. But problematically, the the water was a pipeline before because they needed a lot more water. Uh, Then they got it down to, I think, 24 liters per second. But then they were trucking it. And they're talking about 70 trucks per day in my calculations going up and down that road, uh, uh, delivering water, I think it's 190 kilometers. So I'm not sure if that impacts the fauna that these guys are talking about the Viscachas, the Guanacos, and and, and the llamas, I don't know. But they're telling us that where the plant is, and where the mine is, these animals don't exist. So it's got to be somewhere between there and down below that they're impacting but then if if i had to look at this as an isolated incident then then uh you know then we have the los andes copper and and their their operation was a suspended environmental license again for fauna of viscacha, and then somebody else sent me a newspaper article that they're going to relook at the permit that was already given to solaris norte goldfields which is in development um, you know, close to first poor. And so that sort of indicates to me that the and that's an animal issue too for that one? I don't know what it is, okay. but it's just that the fact that they're opening it up again, that scares me, you know? So uh, I, I, between the previous government and this government, yeah, you want to keep your head down, uh, uh, but they'll be looking at any new projects with more disdain. Uh, you know, and and, and especially, uh, you know, because the permitting apparently is done at a regional level, not at a federal level, but apparently Rio's, you know, studies, uh, EIS was uh, components of it were brought up to a federal level. And that's when the, that's when it got funny.
0: So the, the projects I like in the States the most are the ones that don't have to deal with the federal government or have to deal the least amount with the federal government. <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, when we talk about companies, that's, that's basically what, what, uh, why I invested in this other company. The same sort of reason is because I want to cut out that risk.
0: So what is the biggest risk in the second half of this year for mining investors?
1: Yeah, well, uh, it depends on what you're investing in. In terms of commodity, uh, 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 precious metals, I mean, you know, higher interest rates will give them a negative sentiment towards gold price. And so it's flat to down. But problematically, it's not a bad price. But the issue is that the higher costs impacting producers and developers are sort of eating into their returns and eating into their margins. And so, if if you look at institutional equity or anybody, their big problem is that why would I invest in somebody with shrinking margins? So that's. Uh, but what you know, what what I think Goldfields in the mar- merger with Yamana, that CEO is saying, hey, we're going to increase our dividends to attract those other kind of uh, investors. But then you would question, Mark, how sustainable are those dividends? But then you also got to think as an investor, can they grow if all their free cash flow is now going to dividends and not going to growth? And then you could turn it around and say, okay, well, then M&A has to go up. And so that's one positive about the precious metal sector and maybe where we are right now we and i've been harping on this for a while we're, we're going to see more m a but the problem is that are we going to see m a with decent premiums obviously the great bear one was a decent premium and it was cash are we going to see that for any other companies i would say potentially in the royalty and uh streaming sector potentially but maybe not at a lot of the other assets level, level because you know, their shareholders might just be happy with a liquidity moment and shares in a more liquid company to ride this out. What about
0: Equinox Gold, you know, multi-year low, all-time lows, actually, and other gold producers? um, Do they catch your eye at this point?
1: Well, then again, the the problem is margins, uh, you know, but, but in terms of balance sheet, they're in a better spot, most of them, to ride out the issue with the margins in the short term, but they'll pull back from development projects. They'll pull back because you don't want to be using your uh, shrinking margin to fund an escalating capital uh, development project. Um, um, so, you know, that's why a lot of the MA we've seen has been into production and not necessarily development in, in the gold sector.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, can you leave us with a junior mining stock pick, a recent pick?
1: Okay, like one of my topics and a site visit I just made uh, several weeks ago to Southeast uh, Arizona, uh, my previous stomping grounds in the early 2000s was was uh, Arizona Sonora Copper. Uh, and this uh, IPO last year, um, it's got, importantly, private ground uh, in, in that part of Arizona, not far from Casa Grande. Importantly, because of the drought conditions in that part of the US, they have water they have more water than they need, uh, and
0: you're referencing Resolution Copper, right? That has the issues in Arizona.
1: Yeah, Resolution Rosemont. You know uh, these sort of things that have uh, their you know uh, issues. Uh, let's just say, um, and even even uh, permitting for for uh, for South Thirty Two with the Taylor deposit. You know they still you know can't access a lot of ground to drill. And so they have to drill from underground. So um, yeah, so private is very important access to water and the water that they're accessing is non potable so they're not competing with the cities for that water it's more like effluent if they make a deal with that but uh it's water that people don't want uh and and then they've got grid power because they're close to infrastructure it's a former mine site as well so it should be easier to permit and importantly they have exploration upside which they're drilling right now and then add on to that to the south southwest, Robert Friedland's new IPO, uh, which one is the biggest IPO in the last several months because there haven't been a lot of IPOs, um, is Ivanhoe Electric. And so one of their two flagship deposits or projects is called Santa Cruz, which is right to the southwest of where Arizona Sonora is with their Cactus and Park Salier projects. So you get, you get one of the biggest promoters and successful mining magnets right there with his company that recently IPO'd and raised 170 million bucks US right there. And then you're right here. The thing that makes the most sense is a potential consolidation of the entire area, not only for resource, but also for infrastructure, for water, and for ground, private ground that you could put things. So for me, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. But in terms of Arizona Sonora, They've got funding to build out their part of the story resource-wise. And now, just recently, they did a private placement with Rio Tinto Technologies called Newton to basically try to uh, leach the uh, the sulfide ore, the primary sulfide ore, because most of what they're drilling is enriched uh, calcocyte, which you can do a solvent experiment extraction electro winning but newton is trying a different process that's 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 proprietary to rio tinto to actually leach the sulfide which is something these guys have not put into their resource because they haven't thought about actually developing that so you got a lot of things working for them but it's it's not a great market to say okay who's going to be the next person that's going to buy this but it's one that if you've got a longer term window uh, of investment this is one that uh, I would look at, and
0: that would be like a three to five year hold. When you say longer term, would that be kind of yeah, your... at
1: least three? At least three. Uh, I would say two to three. Yeah, because copper us, projects take rest- at
0: least five years to build, right? Any copper project oh, of scale. Yeah, but I'm
1: I'm not even thinking that this needs to build for us to get the liquidity event. What we need is to build up the major sources of value, which is the resource, infrastructure, uh, the metallurgy, all that sort of stuff's got to be built up. Uh, to add more value to your end to to generate a a consolidation of the district and that consolidation might bring in a bigger player uh to the area so yeah that's what i would look at uh with respect to arizona snore but again if you buy it and it goes down five percent i mean don't worry about it you know just (laughs) because right now like you said with the recession perspective you know copper has gone down quite a bit, but the the problem was on the supply side, like because of permitting, because of, you know, a lack of successful exploration, you know, the costs of development and things like that, there's not a lot of new projects coming on that are going to satiate that market going forward. And so, you know, whatever you think about demand, we don't have a lot of supply coming on. And so if we look at that 2025 plus window, what are the projects that are going to fill that window? Like resolution that you just mentioned, when I worked as an analyst for Phelps Dodge in Phoenix, we had that project coming on in 2010. Mm. It's 2022 right now, so uh, and they've spent quite a bit of money on it since. So that's that. Is that that where African
0: copper projects are a little more attractive because you don't have a lot of the permitting hurdles that we have here in the states?
1: Well, I mean, uh, in 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 uh, some of these countries, uh, you could have issues with expropriation, creeping nationalism, where they expand the royalty or they take a bigger chunk of the uh, free carry. Uh, But permitting because they have the free carry and they're the government is is pretty Mm -hmm. well done. You're you're good with that. It's not a problem. But then if you change regime and then they say, oh, like like they're doing in Zambia. Right now, Zambia has got a really good president and he's from the area in northern Zambia where the Zambian Copper Belt is. But he's relooking at a lot of the uh, permits that were given to other people under a more corrupt regime and trying to say, oh, you know, how did you get that anyway? Uh, so it's it, 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 everybody is very positive on Zambia right now in terms of the way that president's taking it. But then you have to look at it from a long term perspective, this guy, is he going to be here for four years, 10 years, or wh- whatever? And how long is he going to have this positive attitude? Uh, but definitely the way you're thinking right now, Zambia has a lot of potential and a lot of places in Africa have potential, but that's the other risk uh, you take.
0: Yep. Well, Joe, thanks for your insights. Your website is explorationinsights.com. Anything new there that listeners should know about?
1: So, uh, we, I did an investing uh, clock for the uh, for the gold sector, and that's a presentation I did at the Metals Investment Forum. Uh, so that's on YouTube as well as on our website. And then also, I've got a uh, a uh, sort of a free version of what I produced for uh, subscribers um, a couple of months ago. That's that's on our website that you can take a look at.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on today's show.
1: Okay, thank you very much, Bill. We'll talk to you later.
0: The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts, might cost 50 or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for one returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the